The Diamond Disruptor is a free podcast with no ads exploring emerging sustainability in the luxury jewelry sector and sustainability in other markets as well. Please take a moment to subscribe to our show on your desired platform. People that haven't heard about lab-grown diamonds or really don't know what they are, are are really stuck in an old mindset. And and you know what? This is one of those product categories where monthly the yes. numbers are changing. Laboratory-grown diamond or a created diamond is uh, chemically, physically, optically, atomically the same as the diamond mined from the earth. Hello, I'm Clark Watts. Thank you for joining us. When we last left you, Larkin Berry had just wrapped up JCK in Las Vegas, which took place early this summer. There, at the nation's biggest luxury jewelry expo, we heard from industry professionals on how cultured diamonds, also known as lab-grown, are gaining more attention in the luxury sphere for their sustainable benefits and competitive pricing. Cultured diamonds are every bit the equal to mined diamonds. They're even routinely better, as cultured diamonds are type 2A, luxury's most coveted breed. That's a benchmark only 2% of mined diamonds reach. A cultured diamond is a better diamond, more competitively priced, requiring no land or wildlife displacement, no groundwater pollution, and it's 100% conflict-free every single time. A cultured diamond requires no mining. For at least 100 years, mining for diamonds was the only way to get these valued stones for jewelry. There were only a few players that controlled the whole industry. For a long time, that meant if you wanted to get a diamond, you had to go through them. It meant that these few big mine diamond players controlled the entire supply. To get diamonds or diamond jewelry, you had to pay their high prices. Industry experts claim that existing diamond mines will be tapped out in as little as 30 years. Unless we demand and embrace alternative ways of creating diamonds, those which are better for Earth and its people and are fairly priced, the mine diamond industry will just keep on keeping on with their same damaging practices. They'll just continue looking for new ways to mine, which include areas underwater. Great damage has already been done to Earth, a lot of it irreversible. We at Larkin Berry don't want it to continue, and we're guessing if you had the choice, you wouldn't either. So, what happens when Culture Diamonds, a new superior option in this marketplace, comes along and attempts to disrupt a way of operating that has controversially dominated the space for over 100 years? We get pushback. And when it comes to the mine diamond company's attempt to shape the narrative, this pushback we get, well, we're not talking about healthy competition here. We're talking cherry-picked information used against us. We're talking misinformation campaigns. We're talking lies. So I come into this industry a little bit differently than most people, um, as I, I feel I'm more of an activist than anything else. Apologies for the phone call quality. We've done our best to clean it up. This is Anna Mika Anderson, CEO of Mia Donna and Company. Mia Donna Jewelry uses only lab-created conflict-free stones. If you heard our first JCK convention wrap-up episode, you might remember we talked to Alter-Created Diamonds, who were one of the very earliest companies working with Culture Diamonds. Well, Mia Donna was right there with them. Uh, it was back in 2005. Um, my father was visiting me in America from Australia, and he just, in casual conversation, he asked me where my diamond ring came from. 
Um, and I'd never thought about it. I always thought I was a conscious consumer, um, but I was quite disappointed in myself that I, I actually had never thought of that. Um, so I started doing a bunch of research on my diamond, um, and that led me to believe that I had most likely purchased a complex diamond. And, you know, I, I felt duped. So to kind of make things right in my own mind, I started sponsoring a little boy in a diamond mining community in Liberia, Africa. Um, and that was going to be the extent of my philanthropy and kind of making things right in my own mind. Um, but then something amazing happened, and we actually developed a relationship. And I will never forget the day that he wrote to me and said, I had a great summer because only one of my classmates was killed. And so that's really when I decided um, I needed to step in and, and I needed to, to do something. As you can see, Anna knows these issues with the Mind Diamond companies inside and out. They're personal. That's why she was someone I really wanted to talk to after reading an article in which she was quoted by Maddie Stone, writer and founder of the Earther site at earther.gizmodo.com. Back in May, Stone wrote a great balanced examination of these mind versus culture wars, so to speak. You can find it by Googling Maddie Stone beyond the hype of lab-grown diamonds. The article points out the many questionable aspects of a diamonds industry report, also released back in May, a report funded by the DPA. That's the Diamond Producers Association. So this year, and it, and it was just late spring, I think, in, I think in May, the Diamond Producers Association, they released a study uh, claiming that the carbon footprint produced by mining versus that of growing diamonds is less. And what are your thoughts on that? Um, it's been controversial because the earth mine diamond industry has always pushed back on environmental claims. And right. I feel it's because it's the only thing they can push back on. Um, you realize they don't push back on any humanitarian claims of conflict diamonds. And I've found in my career that they will do anything to degrade the popularity of lab-grown diamonds. Um, and that's why they created their own account, uh, their own report, um, saying that they actually, like you just said, they have less environmental impact um, than conflict diamonds. Uh, I, I, I believe that's totally false. For one, I'm one of the very few people um, that have actually worked in Africa, the UK, and America in diamond labs and diamond mines. So I've pretty much you know, lived and breathed this for the past decade and a half in all different countries and all different facilities. And I have seen the environmental and humanitarian constructions with my own eyes um, when it comes to earth mine diamonds. And I still refer to the Frost and Sullivan report, um, a third-party report that does state lab-grown diamonds have seven times less the environmental impact than earth mine diamonds. Um, and I can say that very confidently because, as I said before, um, I've been there and seen it with my own eyes. That was the Frost and Sullivan report Anna just mentioned towards the end there, which she feels is more representative of the true mind versus cultured environmental impact stats. More on that report in a bit. Back to the issue at hand. This controversial DPA report, a research company called TrueCost, spelled TRU, were commissioned to undertake, quote, a world-first comprehensive analysis of the total value contribution of the Diamond Producers Association. That's the DPA members to better understand socioeconomic and environmental impact stats and benefits of diamond mining, end quote. The report is online. It's called The Socioeconomic and Environmental Impact of Large-Scale Diamond Mining. And here's the concern of culture companies. The biggest mining entities make up the DPA. These are names you would know and can see on the website hosting the report. Look, I probably don't need to state the obvious. 
But with all the clear benefits of Culture Diamonds engineering, remember, no conflict, no mining, substantially less waste. We think it's only natural to have some concerns over the objectivity of a report funded by Mine Diamond Companies, saying that they produce less carbon footprint than cultured. You know, the a purpose for that report, as I look at it, uh, was very much to promote the good things that uh, diamond mining business and, and industry is doing for their for the communities, etc. And and of course, they, they focused a lot on that in the report. But when they talked about the carbon footprint in the environment, as referenced by several publications, including Gizmodo with Matty Stone, you know, they look at at, at, at the table five of that report that that highlights the sources where they're quoting their data. First of all, none of them are producers. None of them are growers. Second, almost all of them came from blogs, blogs without a proper reference. That's Richard Girard, G-A-R-A-R-D, Secretary General of the International Grown Diamonds Association. The IGDA has been crucial in educating the public and informing retailers on the many advantageous environmental and social aspects of cultured diamonds. Richard knows his stuff. He worked with early CVD technology, that's chemical vapor deposition, one of two environmentally responsible ways cultured diamonds are grown in labs. And the other? It's called HPHT, that's high pressure, high temperature. And the best parts of either method? Less abuse of earth and no more mining needed. We, uh, we launched in 2016 with 12 uh, members, and uh, most of the major growers at that time were our founding members. We were formed to, to represent, promote, and educate uh, the industry about lab-grown diamonds and cultured diamonds and, uh, and, and to provide a common voice in things that the community needs addressed. One example of you know, our effectiveness in that, even with a small budget, is that uh, the change in the FTC guidelines. Uh, we were very significant putting our case uh, to the FTC with regard to getting that change uh, affected. We did a study. We did a research. We, we, we talked about what was necessary. We talked about the, the term synthetic, which they finally agreed is not an appropriate term. We just need to be sure with, if we are clear for the consumer standpoint that where, where it's grown. It's grown in a lab, but it, it, it is 100% diamond. So, being a higher up at the International Grown Diamonds Association, easy job for Richard Gerard and the other members of the IGDA, right? They just have to get the info out there. Culture diamonds are better. The facts speak for themselves. Well, nothing's quite so simple when what you're doing threatens the $80 billion a year mine diamond industry's global market. You might have caught Anna from Mia Donna mentioning another report a little earlier, the Frost and Sullivan Report. It came out in 2014. It's a third-party study, much more unbiased than the DPA report. And what's changed since then? Basically, just that Culture Diamonds have gained more market share, and the quality has increased as well. The mine diamond companies, like I said, are still mining, still looking for other methods to begin digging new mines. Still introducing excellent opportunities for conflict in impoverished communities. 
Along with the DPA report being released and Maddie Stone's article, something else happened in May of this year. Larkin Berry founder Laura Chavez attended the 2019 Financial Times Business of Luxury Summit in Madrid. Laura sat on a panel with two top mine diamond industry players. She was armed with facts backed by the Frost and Sullivan report that proved growing a one carat diamond as opposed to mining it was substantially safer for the planet. We're talking less water usage. Mining for diamonds uses seven times more than cultured diamond engineering. Less energy. Diamond mining was found to be twice as energy consuming. There's zero human conflict risk with cultured. And what about carbon emissions? Are you sitting down for this one? 1.5 billion to one in favor of cultured diamonds producing. And that's taking into account a variety of different emissions variables, such as sulfur oxide. Cultured diamonds routinely produce none. When faced with these facts at the Financial Times Summit panel talk, the mined diamonds men wielded a familiar counterattack that these numbers from the Frost and Sullivan report shouldn't be used because no one was growing diamonds with renewable energy. It wasn't enough for them that these facts used against them were correct or that various companies such as Diamond Foundry in San Francisco are 100% carbon neutral. But guess what? Even in that assertion, the mined diamond industries are wrong. Only a few weeks before recording this episode, Larkinberry founder Laura Chavez was approached by a green energy company who had recently started growing diamonds with, you guessed it, 100% renewable energy. And now we're partnered with them to make some of our engagement rings diamonds. So the more we look into this DPA report, the more we're seeing it's not just facts on carbon footprint that seem skewed. It's that the report is such a narrow picture of the wide breadth of elements that should be considered when comparing diamond mining and culture diamond engineering. For instance, the DPA report makes such little mention of how human rights were affected in mining communities. This report was all just about cherry-picked carbon emission stats. In Maddie Stone's Earther article, she reminds that since the early 2000s, the mine diamond companies get their gems certified conflict-free according to the UN-backed Kimberley process. With the Kimberley process, the fact that you would need a Kimberley process at all to vet the conflict-free status of the diamonds. I mean, that, that would be another advantage of, of lab-grown and cultured, correct? That we don't need a process to ensure to consumers the conflict-free status of our diamonds because we know where they're made each time. Oh, um, unfortunately, I, I don't feel there has been any... I mean, I've been doing this about 15 years now, and I really have not seen any international regulations that can... Stop, uh, sorry, stop conflict diamonds. Yeah. Um, and it really does come back to the consumer and being conscious about the products that we purchase. The Kimberley process, although a fantastic idea in, in, in theory, has really never worked to stop lab-grown diamonds. And I feel it's worked better as a marketing tool for the earth mine diamond industry. Most um, diamond consumers don't realize that um, the problem is that their definition, the Kimberley process's definition of a conflict diamond is so narrow um, that it only covers the diamonds that are mined under insurgent forces to fund war. Um, so that means the diamond still could have been mined by a child, someone could have been brutally raped or murdered or enslaved to mine this diamond, but then it's been marketed to the diamond consumer as conflict-free. That is not a conflict-free diamond in my mind, in any regular person's mind. Um, so it is very misleading. There's absolutely no question that a culture diamond, a lab-grown diamond, is conflict-free. It, it, its origin is well-defined. And, you know, employees are 
basically working in laboratory environments and are are paid accordingly. All of our all the members of IGDA sign a pledge to provide good working conditions, to provide good competitive wages, and to protect the environment. Matty Stone writes, quote, Most industry observers seem to agree that the Kimberley process is outdated and inadequate, and that more work is needed to stamp out other abuses, including child labor and forced labor in the artisanal and small-scale diamond mining sector, end quote. Stone attributes that assessment to Julianne Kippenberg, Associate Director for Children's Rights at Human Rights Watch. Now, to be fair, the mine diamond companies have made some improvements, environmentally and socially. But Maddie Stone mentions in her writing surrounding the Frost and Sullivan report, quote, While companies will often rehabilitate other land to offset the impact of mines, kimberlite mining itself typically leaves a permanent dent in the Earth's surface. And this, quote, Diamonds grown in factories clearly have a smaller physical footprint. According to the Frost and Sullivan report, they also use less water and create less waste. It's for these reasons that Ali thinks diamond mining will never be able to compete with lab-grown diamonds from an environmental perspective. End quotes. You look at the major impact on the surface of the earth that is created to to create a mine. You know, pits that are thousands of feet deep and thousands of feet wide. One, it takes an enormous amount of energy to create that. Once it's created, you got to get it out. No one can say that the amount of earth that's moved and the amount of earth you have to, to displace and put elsewhere comes anywhere near the, the impact on the earth that a lab-grown diamond facility will, will have. You know, experts have stated that, both in terms of the environment. Uh, experts like Salim Ali from University of Delaware who uh, is is into this industry. So uh, I think there was a lot of things missing from that report. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's unfortunate. The simple fact is, no matter what, mining causes problems. I mean, listen to some lowlights here from the 2014 Frost and Sullivan report. I'm paraphrasing, but you'll get the idea. And you can look up this report online. The Argyle and Diavik mines are estimated to exhaust supplies within the next 10 years. The Diavik mine in Canada is already operating as an underground mine and is estimated to reach end of life by 2023. I just want to point out, that's the world's biggest mine, and it has already done irreversible damage to the planet. And now in 2019, the mining industry has even filed to allow for filling three mined-out pits the Diavik mine has created with processed kimberlite, in other words, waste. Waste rock and waste tailings known as slimes. And then there's the Argyle mine I mentioned in Australia. It made the news in early 2019 for the discovery of one of the largest rare gem quality white diamonds in its 35 year history. Okay, so what? I mean, this is what we're getting at, people. Is a diamond that's just going to sit in a museum worth all the environmental and social damage to communities? The Argyle mine is set to close soon, but the damage has been done. And again, this is indicative of all diamond mining. Of the approximately 35 million carats of rough diamonds the Argyle produce annually, only 5% are considered gem quality. I'll say it once more, all of Larkin Berry's cultured diamonds are gem quality. And not just that, they're all type 2A, the most coveted in luxury. (laughs) 
when I was developing the concept of Near Donna and the Green Diamond, I just I knew what has been what had been done before me was not working. We need to learn from the past um, and push the diamond industry on a more sustainable you know uh, path. And so that's why I turned to science and um, and lab grown diamonds and recycled metals. But it was also with my foundation. What can we do that has the greatest impact? And so I worked with a few organizations at first, but I didn't feel like the impact was was as much um, as I could do. I felt like I could do more. And so that's when I developed my own foundation, and I actually go to these countries, and I sit and I listen to the locals of diamond mining communities. Um, and the worst thing I found, well, not the worst thing, but the most detrimental thing for the for the these communities is that in a time of war, the ground is uh, considered illegal to grow food because it's too valuable and natural resources. They need to mine it to keep up with um, the military operations. Some of these wars last decades, and so they're actually losing the trade on how to grow food and be sustainable by themselves. So then they're reliant on mining diamonds and they're reliant on aid to survive. So that's when I decided, you know what, we need to grow food. We need to secure prime diamond mining land and saying we're not, mining, we're growing food, um, and retrain the locals on how to grow food and make agriculture a bigger, um, a bigger part of their society. One of my favorite things about the cultured diamonds world since I started working for Larkin Berry has been the care that we brands and organizations launch with. This is such a wonderfully atypical industry. We haven't been around for 50 or 100 years polluting the earth and endangering its people. And now we're jumping onto a sustainability or green energy train as a fad to remedy past transgressions. We want to do things right from the beginning. It's doing right by land, animals, and people. They got so many of us into engineering diamonds in the first place. I'm sure I can only assume that you're still finding it randomly, at least in your life, that there's some people that don't even know mm-hmm. exactly what we're doing yet. What, what are some things mm-hmm. that you think all culture diamond supporters and companies need to be doing or, or need to improve to help us all get the message out there? Um, well, I think it's presenting the facts. I, I feel like you don't you really have to sell a conflict. Uh, you, sorry, you don't actually have to sell a lab grown diamond because I think just the, the facts will, will sell itself. Oh my goodness, there, there are so many great stories. Um, back in 2010, I believe it was, I had a customer call me up and just raving that she found us because she didn't want a diamond just because um, she didn't know there was anything else out there. She didn't want to contribute to the conflict of um, the diamond industry. And then she found us and she's like, oh my God, I can wear a diamond again. Um, and from that conversation, she actually came with me to Africa in 2010. Um, and we went to Sierra Leone and Liberia and she was my photographer. Now we're long life friends. That's crazy. Exactly. I've yeah. made so many friends. <laughs> yeah. What consumers are interested in is the ability to get the exact same diamond in a lab-grown diamond product as they can buy from a mine diamond origin that is larger and better quality for the same price or same diamond for less price. Do your research. Check for yourself. Look and see what you think because we believe the value will stay put. 
So I think it's coming back to how you run your company and where you get your diamonds. Um, you, I think your business model really needs to be sustainable um, and you need to back up everything you say um, and actually create change in the world. You know, it's, it, these days it's not all about profit. It's the equal importance of um, profit people on the planet. And I feel if you can do that as a business in whole, that is the best thing that we can do to help the diamond industry in general. So, I mean, as industries evolve uh, and products evolve and people evolve, societies evolve, um, so do the products that we make and purchase. Uh, so I feel like this is just simply the evolution of the diamond. Thanks to Richard Gerard, Secretary General of the International Grown Diamonds Association, and to Anna Mika Anderson, CEO of Mia Donna & Company. This is actually part one of a series on controversy in the diamonds industry. Please subscribe to receive our show. Later in part two, we'll continue this conversation with Dr. Salim H. Ali, the blue and gold distinguished professor of energy and the environment at the University of Delaware, and Larkinberry sales director Paul Ziff, who has decades-long experience in luxury and a history with industry disruption. Larkinberry wants everyone to learn more about culture, the more environmentally responsible option in diamonds. We want everyone to know you have a choice now in buying luxury jewelry and that there's only one choice that's truly sustainable for the future, and that's culture jewelry. Whether it's diamonds, emeralds, sapphires, or recycled gold, go to larkandberry.com to see our jewelry and follow us on social media at Lark and Barry.